welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, continues in a series on the book of Acts called Church Extended. If you want to watch this video message or listen to this week's worship set, just go to our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or on our Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Wow, what, what, what beautiful, powerful lines. God's got his hand on you. Don't live in fear. Don't live in fear. We continue our series, our survey of Acts, called Church Extended. And we're focusing on the, uh, the missionary journeys of Paul now. Paul is the focus of the latter half of Acts. Peter is predominantly the focus of the first half of Acts. Today's message is entitled, Don't Be Silent. The theme verse, and I haven't always chosen a theme verse, but I think, I think that the, the Scripture tells you what it's about. And so when I prepare for a message... I let the scripture tell me what the passage is about. And so, usually there will be some verse that encapsulates the theme that I'm supposed to present. You may find a different theme. But Acts chapter 18, which is where we will focus in verse 9, says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. Is that a message that you need to hear? Is that a message you need to hear? So we begin in Acts chapter 18. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, we talked about Athens last week. Corinth replaced Athens as the the leading political and commercial center of Greece. Corinth was a a cosmopolitan trade city, a center of trade, but it had a largely mobile population. They were unsettled there, they were sailors, they were business people, government officials, they were people coming and going who traveled frequently, so they weren't settled there, stable there with their families there. Now, here's the problem. A city like that is often marked by what? Immorality. Immorality. And Robert, you were in the military a long time. You probably saw that with people who were far from home, far from their wives and families, and they were very different men away. We, you know, it's interesting that Las Vegas prides itself on that, on promoting immorality because people are tourists coming and going. But that was the kind of city Corinth is. And, and as you read the book, the letters of Corinthians, you, you begin to understand what Paul was addressing. It was also a town that focused um, primarily on the, the goddess Aphrodite. And she was the goddess of what? But that doesn't mean a pure form of love. And so she had, there was a, a, a huge temple of Aphrodite there. And they had, historians say, 
a thousand temple prostitutes that function throughout the city as well as in the temple. So as Paul arrived in Corinth, he was alone. Remember, he had been driven out of Thessalonica. He went to Berea. He was then driven out of Berea. The people of Berea, who were, there were some noble people there, they took him to the boundary and left him. His partners stayed back in Berea. So Paul shows up alone. He had experienced really a limited response in Athens. And now he would face this large, immoral city by himself. He wrote to the Corinthians later, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. 1 Corinthians 2, 3, which revealed his state of mind. Now, God knew Paul needed someone to offer encouragement. He needed some help carrying the burden of facing continual opposition. Some of you may be facing continual opposition in your office, in, perhaps in your home, perhaps in your home. So God sent a couple. Now, he sends us something, maybe, maybe a couple, might be a spouse, a sibling, a friend. Yes. But a lot of us have been sent a godly, blessed, caring mother. A lot of us. Verse 2 of chapter 18. There, Corinth, he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently arrived in Italy with his wife, Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome, likely because of disturbance in the Jewish community um, that resulted from those who were beginning to preach about Christ. But Paul joined with these two, and he lived and worked with them because they were tent makers. Greek actually says leather workers, but they made tents from leather. So it could be they made tents and other things. But, and so he, he worked with them because they had the same profession that he did. So God sent Paul some new acquaintances who became his friends, his partners in business, and his partners in spreading the good news. In fact, these people later risked their lives, this, this couple, Romans 16, 3 and 4. And the person or persons God has sent to you, there may be some similarity. Now, the, the true bond is spiritual, but on the surface, it may be something else. It might be a common profession. It might be a common sports team you like. It might be a number of things. But God knows how to connect people. So God called Aquila and Priscilla to Corinth to carry out a gospel purpose primarily 
for them. And God calls each of us that way. And there's some characteristics of God's calling that I think are found in this chapter. God calls us first to communicate with interested people. I didn't say interesting. I didn't say good looking. I said interested people. Verse 4. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike, which implies he did some preaching, he did some discussing, he did some talking. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all of his time preaching the word. Well, the reason that he could do that was because Paul and Silas doesn't tell us here, but it tells us in 2 Corinthians, it tells us in Philippians, that Paul and Silas brought a financial offering from Macedonia to support Paul in his ministry. So we see even early on here the need for all of us to contribute, to support, because it then freed Paul to do what he really needed to do all the time. So verse 5, he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, how much of the New Testament did Paul have? None. So Paul had Old Testament scriptures and his personal experience with Christ. And then what he learned from others that had experienced Christ. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes. And this was a a Jewish gesture of rejection and said, your blood is upon your own heads. Blood on your head means you're responsible. Blood on your hands usually means you caused something harmful to another. And I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles, which is really who God called him to preach to, wasn't it? So Paul declared that these Jewish opponents were now responsible to God for their actions. Folks, let's not forget this. You know, I think in this day where so many of us grew up on what we called fire and brimstone, that we became embarrassed of God and the fire and the brimstone. But let's be careful because we may also be denying the truth of judgment. I think the truth of judgment can cause any of us to become very lax in our lives. The rejection of Jesus has serious consequences on earth. But it has much more severe and long-lasting consequences after this life ends. And judgment occurs. Paul, you see, he's been rejected. He had his feelings hurt. You know, did him shaking his garments out, was that a, a perfect response? I don't know. Understand that the Scripture describes what happened also. So understand, sometimes it's a description. It may not be a prescription. 
So be careful that you don't go around shaking your garments out on people. You better be sure God told you to do some shaking before you start. Instead, you better do some quaking about what God wants. But. So Paul redirected his efforts towards those that God had called him to reach. Verse 7. Then he left and went to the house of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. So here's, a, here's a, a Gentile, a Roman, you can tell by his name, who is at least interested. We don't know that he's a Christian at this point, a, but a God worshiper is not, is not the same as a believer yet. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul went to this man's house that's next door to the synagogue. So even though Paul was hurt, angry, he didn't completely abandon the Jews. And if you read his writings, particularly Romans, he, 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 he lived concerned about the Jews' spiritual state. But he went to the Roman household. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in the household believed in the Lord. So he went next door to the church and was still preaching. And so some of these Jews from the synagogue were coming over there and listening to him. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul and became believers, Jews and Gentiles, and they were baptized. Well, well see, now think about it. The Jews ran Paul out of the synagogue. They want him, get out of town, be quiet, quit preaching. He goes next door and keeps preaching. And people were going next door and listening and being saved. So how do you think the Jews that ran him out of the synagogue felt about it? Yeah. They were angry. They were mad. They were enraged. But what you see is that, that God blessed his initial step into obedience. Paul knew he was called to Gentiles. He couldn't turn loose of these Jews. But he had took, taken a step into the, toward the Gentiles, and many were saved, Jew and Gentile. He received a very positive response. But the point I'm extracting out of here is that when you're telling your faith story, look for people who want to hear it. Look for people who are interested, because that just may indicate... And I would say most likely indicates that the Holy Spirit is working in that person, preparing that person's mind, preparing that person's heart to hear, to understand, to believe. Now listen, I understand, we all desire to reach first. Well, who do we want to reach first? Our families, our friends, and and. A lot of times we find that them resistant, don't they? The prophet has no honor in his hometown. Jesus said that several times. So when you find resistance among those you're closest to, what do you do? Do you keep beating on them? What do you do? 
What do you do? I need some enthusiasm on that. What do you do? Well, not just walk away. You do some work, some harder work. You pray, and you pray till you pray, and then you pray some more, and you keep praying. Because it's God that does the work that makes them receptive. We think that more pressure does it, and we see them just drawing farther and farther away, don't we? You know, here's the thing. I, I, think, I think years ago, when I was growing up, and Melvin, Melvin's at least as old as me. You know, we would, we would knock on the doors of strangers. We'd do this Monday night visitation. I mean, I've talked to people on the beach, you know. They were there to get a tan. I'm trying to witness to them, and I'm saying, hey, you think it's hot here. It, somehow it didn't work too well. But I witnessed to a lot of disinterested people. But here's the problem. I usually got put up to do that because I felt like I had to prove I didn't mind being rejected. Anybody else ever had that experience? And so you, weren't, you didn't have the right stuff if you weren't willing to knock on the doors of complete strangers, interrupt people on the beach, accost people wherever, and it was almost like a badge of honor to be mistreated. I don't see that in the gospel, do y'all? I remember going up to people's doors to knock on their doors and praying nobody was home. Gosh, I sat, I sat inside this woman's house um, with, there was another fellow with me, which today you wouldn't even do that, knocking on doors, two, two men knocking on the doors. This lady let us in and I still remember Andy Griffith was on. She didn't do a thing but listen to Andy. This fellow of mine thought she had received Christ. She didn't receive anything but what Barney said. <laughs> but we had that approach. You see what I'm saying? That force it. That's awful theology. And it's bad relationships. They're bad relationships. And it didn't produce results. Now, let me say this, though. Be careful not to overemphasize what I'm telling you. If God tells you to witness to an uninterested crowd, you do it. But you need to know that God's sending you. Because if God sends you, he's got a plan. You see what I'm saying? Do, do people still preach downtown? Yes. Down there, it used to be called Bergamo Plaza. What's it called now? Somebody. One, is, it one, is that one city? Is that where they're called? I, I'm all confused. They changed the name. They don't like Italy anymore, I guess. So it used to be Bergamo Plaza. Now I think it's one city or something like that is that's that's still where they preach right and so people get out there and they'll shout and they might have a megaphone and you know sometimes we think well gosh he's wasting his time but not if God sent him to hear I mean not if God sent him to to speak because there might be someone walking by God has already selected to hear who would not have heard in any traditional means wasn't going to a church, wasn't hanging around with Christians. So do what God tells you to do, but I'm just saying generally, because someone's resistant doesn't mean necessarily anything spiritual is happening. So go where God is working in someone. 
Who has God prepared to hear your faith story? You know that person, it might be someone you're irritated by. It might be someone you, you don't much like. Sometimes my wife uses the word annoying with someone y'all know well. It, it, and that person probably has deserved it every time. It was you, but that person that's persistent after you might be the person God is sending. Might be the person God is sending. God also calls us to count on him for protection. It appears that the, having these converts in Corinth, Jewish and Gentiles, caused increasing difficulty, perhaps even danger for Paul. And so, rejection hurts us. And Paul may have been struggling. Remember, Paul, Paul's conscience ached because he had been so cruel to Christians. He had put them to death. He had, I mean, he, he was in all manner of upheaval in this period as he begins his ministry. And it shows in his different letters at times. But he may have been struggling whether he ought to just stop preaching and leave. But God spoke to him during this crucial times. In fact, you can see that God spoke to Paul directly at least five times that the Bible reports. And verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack or harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. Now they weren't yet saved and they already belonged to God. That's, is that puzzling to you? No, because when were names written in the Lamb's book? Who knows? When? In the beginning of time. We think, oh, when you were saved, it was recorded. No, the beginning of time. So God knew you before you knew him. So God directed Paul to continue preaching in Corinth, assured that he would be safe and, and informed him that, that many, many people would respond. So verse 11 says, so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the word of God. He, he was reassured by God. He, he saw some fruit from his efforts. But even if he hadn't, the, the, the restatement of God uh, that I'll protect you, I have people here, keep on. And is God saying that to you? Right now, are you in need of God's comfort, of his assurance to pursue his plan? Well, then tell him. Tell him. He already knows. Tell him you're about to give up. Tell him you don't know if you can keep going. Tell him that this resistance is almost unbearable to you, that this rejection is deeply painful. Tell him. And hear his response. Now, Paul's Jewish opponents, they were frustrated by having these Jews turn to faith in, in Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine? The men in the synagogue, you know, they didn't like it that these 
Jews, some they'd known since childhood, were becoming Christians, leaving the synagogue. And so they couldn't stop them, so they tried to get the Romans to stop Paul preaching. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't that they liked what the Romans were doing, but they were willing to use the Romans to control Paul. But when Gallio became governor or proconsul of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They took him actually to what was called the judgment seat, which was out in public in the marketplace. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. Well, they're talking about Roman law. These Jews didn't care a thing about Roman law. But they were willing to use it against Paul. You know, I've been astounded through the years how people who don't believe in God want to use the First Amendment, freedom of religion, to silence the voice of people that do believe in God. It's a reversal of the intent. The Romans, you see, did tolerate Christianity because they just thought it was some subsect of Judaism. And so this accusation, though, was an attempt for these Jews to get this government official from Rome to forbid Paul's preaching. If he had, that ruling would have likely spread across the Roman Empire and shut down preaching everywhere. But just as Paul started to make his defense, verse 14, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge these matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. Now, was the proconsul a Christian? No. Well, then how is it that this turned in favor of Paul? And it set the precedent that allowed Christian preaching throughout the Roman Empire. Here's what we forget. Some of us think that unbelieving officials, bosses, are impervious to God's control. They are not. They are not. Proverbs clearly tells us God can turn a king's heart like a stream of water anywhere he wants it to go. So if you were in that situation, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Because God has access to every person's mind. Whether, whether they're followers or not. And God intervened for Paul, and that set the precedent for preaching throughout the Roman Empire. Do you need God to intervene for you with someone you don't have control over? Do you? Show me some hands. I want to see if this, this applies to anybody, okay? 
a boss, some person in authority over you. You can't control them. They control you, but you can pray. You can pray. Now, these Jews were frustrated. They were angry. And they took their anger out on the new synagogue leader. Remember, the last synagogue leader was Crispus. He became a Christian, so he vacated that slot. And so they put a new guy in. And it says, then the crowd grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, the new leader, and they beat him right there in the courtroom. Now you say, well, how can that happen? Well, remember what I told you. It wasn't literally a courtroom. It literally was a judgment seat in the open air marketplace. So it wasn't like they beat him right in front of the judge. It could have been over here in the, behind a crowd. It could, no telling where it was. So I, I, you have to read into it. Um, what was happening in that setting. But Gallio paid no attention. He may have heard some, you know, some scuffling around. He may have heard some yelling, but he just ignored it. But the interesting thing is that the man they beat, Sosthenes, he too became a Christian. 1 Corinthians 1.1. 1, 1. Now, I'm not going to do all of Acts 18, 19 through 23. I'll just summarize but it tells us Paul left Corinth, he set sail for Syria, and he took with him Priscilla and Aquila. After he reached Ephesus, he left that couple there in Ephesus. He sailed to Caesarea, he visited the church in Jerusalem, he returned to Antioch where he started. And that completed the second missionary journey. And that journey, I want you to understand about this time, lasted three years, AD 51 to 54, he traveled 2,700 miles, 1,290 by sea, 1,410 by land. And then he traveled to Galatia and Phrygia, which started the third missionary journey. And so that from there, I want us to pick up and see that God calls us to clarify his way. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. There was a large Jewish population in Alexandria. He had been taught the way of the Lord. Now, the way of the Lord refers to the, you know, the, the, the spiritual and the moral standards of God primarily. And he taught about Jesus. From the Old Testament, again, with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. So this man, Apollos, a Gentile, was a knowledgeable, passionate, compelling preacher from what he had learned of the Old Testament scriptures. Learned it from some Jews in Alexandria. That means someone shared with him their faith. But it was an Old Testament understanding, though he had some awareness of the Messiah coming. But, but see, understand, his, his grasp, his comprehension of the gospel was incomplete. And it says in verse 25, the latter part, he, he knew only about John's baptism. And that likely means that what he preached was, was repentance and preparation for the Messiah who has arrived, which was what John the Baptist preached. Apparently, and, and John baptized people for repentance. 
Apparently, he did believe Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. But understand, he didn't really understand or grasp the significance, the the meaning, the import of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, was he saved? Was he not saved? You can't really use the word saved. That really has a Christian context. But I would say he was a redeemed believer, much like David, Moses, Abraham. But had not received the Spirit as Christians did at Pentecost yet. When Priscilla and Aquila, now I want you to notice this. Who's named first? The woman. The first time they're mentioned, who's named first? The man. The order of names is important. And it reveals that in, at least in this area, Priscilla was stronger than her husband. And so when these two heard him preach boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside, privately see, and they explained the way of God more accurately. Now, which one of them likely led in this discussion? Which one? Priscilla. Priscilla. How many of you had a mother that led your home spiritually? Not a father, a mother. How many of you had it? Me. And so we see this woman honored even here. She stepped forward. That's not disrespectful. She was more mature. She was more, we don't know. Her husband apparently was interested as well. but, But she knew God better. She understood better. And her name came first. And you know what they did? They, they took him aside privately. See, they didn't rebuke him publicly because their goal wasn't to, to uh, humiliate him. It wasn't to point out his mistakes. It was to nurture him in the faith. And you know what? That's often more like a woman than a man, isn't it? To say, here, let me help. Let me help you. Not to prove I know more. Not to challenge you publicly that you're wrong, but to say, let me, let me lift you up. Let me help you. Now, this couple spoke privately, and they explained the truth of, of Jesus' atoning death and his resurrection and the presence and the function of the Spirit. We have pastors and teachers in churches that do the same, and prophets and discipleship leaders and uh, small group leaders and And after receiving this clarification, Apollos was eager to to continue to preach. So see, he wasn't discouraged by his incomplete knowledge. He was bolstered in his ministry because now he understands the work and the way of God even better. And he sailed across the Aegean Sea to Acacia, specifically back to Corinth, where these people had been. And Apollos had been thinking about going to Asia. And the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him to go, and they wrote to the believers in Asia, asking them to welcome him. And when he arrived there, he proved to be of great benefit to those who by God's grace had believed. 
He refuted the Jews with powerful arguments in public debates. Using the scriptures, he explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. This man was mentored, tutored, discipled by this couple. And it looks like this woman led in it. Don't miss this on Mother's Day. Some of you women sometimes think I should be quiet. Mm -mm. In the realm of God. Now be humble. We don't want, we don't need to, you know, wives don't need to embarrass husbands. They need to, to honor husbands, mutual honor in a marriage. But if the wife knows the nature of God better, let her speak. And moms, don't, don't, don't sit on your opinions, particularly with your children. Speak. Don't be silent. We must not be silent at this juncture in our nation's history. We must not be silent. And we must not fear the repercussions. Who helped you grow by clarifying God's way? Might have been a woman, might have been your mother, might have been someone else. Oh, here's my next question. Who have you helped? See, some of us think, well, I don't know everything, I can, so I can say nothing. Uh-uh, be like Apollos. He knew some things, say that. Say that and let God multiply it. Don't be silent. You know, this was a frightening thing in my home. It's my mother's Bible. She died three and a half years ago. And this Bible, if I, if I turned it over and shook it out, it is full of junk and notes and clippings and poems and programs and it's all marked up and the front and the back she recorded every spiritual event that happened in mine and my siblings lives my sister gave me this in the past year my mother always liked a white bible red letter king jimmy And my mother was very meek, but never silent. And when my mother knew I wasn't anywhere near the Lord, she would, she would have a word, ask a question. And there never was a day in my life I wasn't scared of this book. Not because we worship the book, but because we know who wrote this book and my mother lived it out and my mother was a meek woman she had a hard husband we had a dysfunctional home but my mother knew God and I have to attribute whatever God has accomplished through me is directly in tribute to my mother her prayers the testimony of her life, the times she asked me the uncomfortable questions. Moms, you have more influence on your children than any person in this world. Use it. 
Don't be silent. Speak. Our care volunteers will be here to pray with you, to talk with you. If you need some encouragement or some guidance, they are here for that. They're here to anoint with oil for healing. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you know us and you give us who we need to help us. You help us personally, but you also send someone with skin on. How, How many of us had godly mothers who blessed our lives and who were mouthpieces for you into our lives and particularly when our lives were in rebellion when they were away from you so God I pray today would be a a day of encouragement for these women who have labored so selflessly to raise children I pray you would bless them encourage them Comfort them, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Don't forget to call your mama today. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so you experience transformed life. One of the ways you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326 to get in contact with our Connections team. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood Church app. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day.